Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiatives podcast. My name is Oliver Hartwig and today we are joined by Graham Rich. Graham is a professional working in financial markets and financial markets education. He is based in Australia where he's been for I think 25 years now. He is a passionate New Zealander and he's difficult to sum up as a person. He's also engaged in charitable activities and we'll talk about that later. Perhaps the quickest introduction to Graham is that he's a good friend of mine and I'm very glad to have him on the podcast. So welcome, Graham. Thank you, Oliver, and thank you for the introduction. You're a friend who I got to know in Sydney, of course, before you moved to New Zealand, and uh, it was almost like a tag team, so thank you. <laughs> it was indeed, and I think it was about um, a decade ago that we met in Sydney, just before I actually got this job here, so you prepared me and uh, gave me a piece of greenstone to take with me, so I still have that. <laughs> But since you're based in Sydney, I think we should start with something very topical, the Australian COVID situation and the new lockdowns now in New South Wales, in Victoria, of course, most recently in South Australia as well. What's it like in Sydney, where you are? Uh, it's uh, for Sydney-siders uh, cold, and it's cold not only because uh, the wind's been blowing a little, um, but also because the Uh, metaphorical winds have been blowing. I think Sydney Siders Oliver had a feeling that not only was the government of New South Wales uh, the best government, uh, the gold standard in Australia, the best country in the world, um, but also um, we had life free and easy, somewhat like um, uh, perhaps uh, many New Zealanders feel, and suddenly snap. It's back. So um, there's there's a mixture of an air of uh, despondency, and I say that because uh, I've got a staff of 25 spread around New South or spread around Sydney, excuse me, at their homes, uh, and we get feedback from them every day and can judge their mood every day. Uh, but also because of my work uh, in a charity called the Wayside Chapel. And um, there's a hundred staff who also give a pulse for me. So there's an air of despondency, I think, is how on earth could have it have turned like uh, it has so quickly. And it was not really what you expected. As you said, Sydney or New South Wales more generally were regarded as actually relatively good COVID managers unlike Melbourne and Victoria. And Sydney Siders looked at Victoria with a sense of perhaps superiority over the last year, and now you're pretty much in the same situation as your Victorian counterparts. Yes, I think uh, that's fair. That's very fair, although uh, the folk with whom I mix uh, would still tend to view... Um, Uh, Despot Dan or whatever various people call him as the Premier of Victoria as considerably more uh, probably Jacinda-like and draconian um, than uh, Gladys Berejiklian, the Premier of New South Wales. Um, they'd, view, um, they'd view Victoria as uh, masters of their own destiny through all the pre-Delta variant Uh, debacle of COVID, uh, which New South Wales managed very well. I think what's caught New South Wales unawares is the extreme uh, uh, 
contagious nature of the Delta variant. And so it's really smacked New South Wales confidence, is my view. You're affected in many ways by all of this because your business, as you already mentioned, is in financial markets education. You are typically in pre-COVID times hosting big conferences and seminars. I believe most of this business for the past year was barely possible. How are you coping with that? Um, thank you for asking that. Yes, our, our business, uh, my business background is having started in New Zealand and moved to Australia as, as uh, uh, Oliver said, 25 plus years ago, um, full time. And before that, having, uh, uh, for the last 35 years, active business involvement out of New South Wales and across Australia, um, is in, uh, Uh, wealth management, financial services. I started the business that's called Morningstar that some of you may have heard of, which is managed fund analytics, managed fund research, brought that to Australia and sold it to America. But having finished with that business 20 years ago, I started an investment education business, postgraduate executive education. And that has been hammered left, right and center. So the last 18 months is an 18 months I would not have wanted on anybody's career in terms of coping from a business management perspective. Uh, but in terms of, uh, I guess, proof of resilience and proof of uh, a, a, an exceptional quality group of people around and, and colleagues, uh, and I'll include in that a number from the New Zealand Initiative and uh, Oliver's uh, moral support and, and communications, it, it's been a huge challenge, but we've survived. What were the biggest challenges? Was it actually to keep paying the bills? Was it to keep staff sane? Or was it just a general sense of uncertainty that you simply couldn't plan anything for the next few weeks or months? Um, Donald Rumsfeld has passed away, but had uh, the saying that most of us know. And I've said to many of our staff uh, and clients that this time with the lockdown we're in now, four weeks in, um, It's like uh, known unknowns, whereas uh, 15, 17 months ago, it was unknown unknowns. And that I found really, really challenging. I found that challenging because um, we made a decision that we would um, uh, keep all of our staff. Uh, so we'd dig into some capital reserves and make sure that we kept all of our staff. Uh, we made a decision that we would Uh, remodel what we needed to go forward for the future because a lot of our work had been in-person uh, training, education, uh, workshop, conference-type activity. Uh, we made a, um, uh, a decision also that we would um, meet with our staff team um, uh, once a week as a whole group and then uh, in the two or three Uh, operating teams we had regularly via Zoom. And so there was a huge amount of distraction of activity, even although in a general sense, our client, we have 14,000 clients as individuals, 14,000 members, we call them individual members. Uh, even although they had an increasing demand for online service, our infrastructure wasn't equipped to cope with that. So that was one set of demands on me. The second set of demands was, 
uh, chairing a significant um, not-for-profit uh, for the underprivileged, and that uh, was thrown into a massive degree of challenge as well. And the third, and I don't discount this uh, at all, is the huge psychological challenge of having uh, all of our family, in other words, kids and grandkids in New Zealand, and a prohibition as uh, an Australian resident from leaving Australia, um, and so not being able to see family for 15, 16 months, I think, was uh, quite psychologically challenging. So throwing those three together last 18 months was pretty difficult, Oliver. And you are not alone with that situation. I think there are about half a million New Zealanders in Australia. For them, of course, the opening of the travel bubble in, I think it was May, was um, mm. a welcome relief. And I think you yourself took the opportunity to visit family you hadn't seen for more than a year. And I think many Kiwis in Australia did just that. But now mm. it looks as if mm. the bubble is, well, for the time being at least, suspended and probably doomed until we're all vaccinated. How mm. do you, how do fellow Kiwis in Australia feel about that? Uh, we were really fortunate. My wife and I, um, as Oliver said, we've lived here for, for 25 years uh, full time. Uh, we were really fortunate. We chose a weekend to come across, um, uh, just sneaked in, and then the weekend after the bubble began to uh, disintegrate. Uh, a little. So we had uh, a four-day weekend uh, in, in Christchurch. It was magnificent weather and we had a wonderful time. And that that one little window of uh, time uh, was a real psychological fillip. I, I uh, felt really uh, blessed. Um, so uh, now it's kind of... Um, Uh, Oliver, back uh, back to the grind, I guess, back to uh, managing a situation that's got a high degree of uncertainty. I took a photo and sent it to the family on Sunday night. We, we've got the privilege of living in Potts Point, which for those of you know is pretty well in the middle of uh, Sydney CBD area um, and look across to the city and it was just the most magnificent night on Sunday night. Blue sky, uh, I think because of less lights, Uh, you could see the stars, which you often can't. Um, a really wonderful, crisp uh, winter evening. And uh, the photo caption I sent was, isn't this an amazing city, except you can't go out into it. So, we're, we're, look, that's just how it is, Oliver. Was that the longest time you've ever been away from New Zealand? It's the longest time I've been never been away from New Zealand. It's the longest time I've not had uh, active engagement with uh, my family and, and probably... Um, Uh, being maybe a little bit more introspective, um, I'm I'm uh, so uh, pleased in a bizarre way that my mum passed away in Auckland uh, three years ago. It would have been just so distressing. But you have to say, no matter any of the things I'm talking about and the half million you talk about of uh, Kiwis in Australia, we are blessed uh, beyond belief compared to any other country between Australia and New Zealand. Uh, you know, whatever the circumstances, we've uh, got a lot to be thankful for. Indeed, um, because we haven't seen the casualty figures that we have um, witnessed in other parts of the world. But just back to that long separation from your home country, I know the feeling that um, when I'm traveling back occasionally, I mean, before COVID to Germany, where I grew up, um, the distance actually makes you realize change. 
So if you're returning mm -hmm. after a year or maybe two, you see that things have changed. That if you lived there, you probably wouldn't even notice. So what, what was it like for you coming back then to New Zealand, if only for four days in Christchurch? Did you notice anything dramatically different from how you remembered it? Yes. Um, I, I suspect the two things that are most uh, prominent to any New Zealander going back to Christchurch are the uh, increasing uh, rebuild consequences um, and uh, Christchurch is returning to be um, a pretty uh, beautiful city. So uh, that's one obvious um, uh, noticeable change. Um, for those of you who haven't been to Christchurch for a while, um, I'm sure you'll notice the same thing. Absolutely. Um, the other thing, Oliver, I think is um, I argue and I, I, I suspect um, this might be a little bit provocative, but many, many Kiwis and my family members included are uh, like uh, frogs in the proverbial pot uh, where they don't appreciate the uh, subtle but increasing change that is occurring on a societal basis, uh, in my view, as a consequence of um, the current uh, Labor government administration just subtly changing and maybe not so subtly changing uh, all sorts of things um, in in uh, uh, the social fabric. Um, so I have one uh, a daughter who's uh, a high school dean and, and um, you know, the, the education system and such like has just uh, chip, chip, chip changed. In what ways? Um, well, Melanie, uh, my daughter, has a seven-year-old, and so uh, her husband Steve and Mel uh, grapple with um, how do they manage her uh, education in the context of, um, I mean, I'm blessed with the fact that she's a smart young lady, and then they've got a nearly five-year-old coming into the education system, How do they manage the uh, curriculum regime for uh, a smart young lady uh, growing up? Uh, and and uh, so I, um, in the way Oliver, that that um, there's um, in inverted commas even for Melanie and Steve. Um, a degree of resignation to the fact, well, that's how the curriculum works. So we don't have too much option but to accept that that's how, um, that, that's the curriculum regime that children uh, uh, go through now. And we have um, written and published a lot about that at the New Zealand Initiative, the changing um, way of teaching, the Uh, lesser emphasis on knowledge and teaching facts and the greater emphasis on teaching skills like creativity but not really focusing too much on academic learning is that what mm -hmm. you mean mm -hmm. uh, that is what i mean and and for um for a uh, 45-year-old school teacher who's who's uh, come from a different Uh, curriculum regime to the present curriculum regime and seeing a seven-year-old now in that more, as, as you put it, creative uh, uh, style, it's, it 
it's obvious and and um, challenging. And yet, why I say frog in the pot is like, well, what what do you do about it? Well, we can talk about that a little bit later. But before we get to that, the one thing I still wanted to ask you about, since you've mentioned it a few times now, you're involved in charitable work, the Wayside Chapel. Now, I've lived in Sydney, and I know it's a Sydney institution, but for many New Zealanders, um, that probably requires a bit of an explanation. You probably have to tell us a bit about the history of the Wayside Chapel, what it is, what it does, and what your involvement is. Uh, thanks, Oliver. I'm... I'm um Really privileged to be the chair of the Wayside Chapel. I've been on the board for uh, eight or nine years. Um, um, there's a number of reasons why I'm actively involved with it. Maybe if I touch on that really quickly. Yeah, go um, ahead. One of the reasons is because um, we live in Potts Point on the edge of King's Cross and the Wayside Chapel's um, first um, – Uh, center of activity is 100 meters away uh, in King's Cross. The Wayside Chapel is 50 years old, uh, over 52 years old. Uh, it uh, has been a social uh, renegade over the years, started the injecting center in the middle of King's Cross, um, has stood up for the underprivileged, uh, the people who have fallen by the wayside, And as the saying goes, uh, there but for the grace of God go I. And so um, the Wayside Chapel is part of the immediate neighborhood we live in. Um, and and uh, therefore, as I walk our uh, couple of sausage dogs in the morning, although at the moment the uh, folk who sleep rough, who don't have a roof over their heads, have kind of been cleared away uh, because of lockdown, uh, in a general Uh, a day or week, you see uh, many disadvantaged people sleeping rough around uh, our neighbourhood. Um, for for many, uh, perhaps, listeners to this, uh, that would be unusual um, unless you live in a city centre and unless you live perhaps near the likes of King, King's Cross, you don't see the underbelly of society. And in and Sydney, so they're really of, close. I mean, King's Cross and Potts Point, that's a few minutes' walk. And, oh, totally. But it's the contrast immediate. couldn't be greater. Mm -hmm. That's precisely. With, within 100 meters to our right are uh, antique shops and boutiques, and 100 meters to our left are uh, uh, you know, the remnants of strip clubs and uh, bars and uh, lots of uh, uh, drug-afflicted and homeless uh, if you scratch the surface. So um, that's... That's part of the reason, um, Oliver, because it's part of our local community, but in a sense it's chicken and egg. We live in this space because I feel a strong uh, responsibility to think of um, society as a whole and not just the part of society that we mix with on a day-to-day -day basis. And so um, our business is... Um, providing continuing education, training, working with um, the professional development of those who are in the top 1%, uh, helping those who help um, wealthy people become wealthier and helping those who um, aspire to be wealthy become wealthy, working on uh, investment portfolio design uh, across a range of asset classes, helping teach people how all that works. 
Um, we have a joint venture with Macquarie University. We're dealing with, by and large, elites um, in the financial uh, markets and wealth management sector. And my privilege in owning uh, uh, my own business with uh, my wife, Deirdre, is um, uh, we've got the right and the opportunity to say, in effect, whether you like it or not, uh, students, whether you like it or not, members, um, we're, we're committed to looking at the whole person, not just helping their financial well-being, but giving you perspectives on uh, life philosophy that blends into investment philosophy. The two, in my view, can't be separated. And probably um, a personal philosophy for you as well. I mean, uh, totally. when, when mm. we talk, what I sense in you is a rare combination of someone with clear free market classical liberal views, a great degree of conservatism combined with a Christian belief system. Is that a fair characterization? <laughs> Ever the analyst, Oliver, that's precisely. And, and in effect, we're a private organization. We have happened to own the space that we're in. Uh, and, and that says to me, Oliver, um, we have been traditionally successful. We've been challenged the last 12 or 18 months, but we've been traditionally successful at attracting a very significant audience. When that audience knows that I stand for the fact that um, looking at the whole person is um, a fundamental aspect of a quality society, that, that volunteering into the community is a hallmark to me of strong democracy. Is that something um, that you whole... see a lot of in society and is it something that you see enough of, especially in the business community? Uh, absolutely not. It's not enough. Uh, I mean, one of the things, Oliver, that, that agitates me in the extreme, and I see myself as a, I see myself as a Kiwi who just happens to live in, in, in Sydney. I've often said I feel like uh, a kind of life ambassador of Kiwi values into Australia. Uh, into Sydney, um, um, and yet it still irritates me looking at uh, the Membership of New Zealand initiative, why there is not a considerably more significant wealth management and financial services commitment to what it is that the New Zealand initiative does. Why is it that there aren't uh, anything like as many of the investment funds management firms, the Kiwi Savers firms, um, who are very, very happy to talk about this, that, and the next thing um, in the media, but don't get in behind the likes of what, a, what New Zealand Initiative stands for, which is about making New Zealand a better society from all perspectives. Is more of the whole person argument that I'm putting to you through what it is I'm involved with, with the Wayside Chapel, but also the Centre for Independent Studies, uh, your... Uh, alumni in Australia, mm -hmm. uh, also the Lowy Institute that I'm part of, uh, the Mont Pelerin Society that you introduced me to, is these institutions of making society a better place in uh, a, a classical liberal democracy style, to me are fundamental, and yet there's an apathy, and that's part of the frog in the pot example I use uh, about describing some of my impression about New Zealand. To be fair to the business community, we do have quite a few really engaged members and we have 
members from a financial markets background and investment background. So we're getting support, but of course we would always like to have even more support for the work we do. Um, I want to get back to Wayside Chapel and your engagement there because you also mentioned that it was a tough time for you as a charity in, in these COVID times. What was it like? Was um, the fundraising more difficult or did you also encounter just simply more need in times of crisis from the people you're typically dealing with? Uh, thank you um, for bringing me back to that. Um, the Wayside Chapel um, has grown over 50 years. Um, uh, it it uh, is uh, in a really healthy position uh, from a uh, motivational point of view uh, and from a um, from a strategic uh, uh, development point of view. But the last 18 months for the Wayside Chapel has been uh, probably similarly challenging um, as uh, the business environment I've been part of. So uh, 15, uh, 18 months ago, the Wayside Chapel had about 140 staff Uh, um, headed by a uh, CEO and pastor. His name's John Owen. Um, just sorry to interrupt you. 140 staff sounds like a massive organization. Are these volunteers or are they employed staff? 140 employed staff and 1,000 mm -hmm. volunteers. Wow. Um, and um, so it has a very significant infrastructure. Uh, we have a number of Uh, social enterprise activities, um, uh, for example, at Bondi Beach, where we have a facility. Uh, interestingly, Bondi Beach is significantly populated by New Zealanders, and you, you, you wouldn't necessarily imagine that Bondi Beach, um, perhaps iconic, maybe alongside King's Cross as being similarly iconic um, as a name. Uh, Bondi Beach has a significant Uh, uh, drug addiction problem, a significant homelessness problem, uh, and those aspects of society through COVID uh, became amplified. Um, we had in the range of 25 to 30% of our visitors, as we call them. So anybody who uh, looks to access Wayside Chapel services, uh, we describe as a visitor. And uh, we had about a 25 to 30% increase in the number of visitors who were looking for Wayside Chapel services during uh, certainly the first six months, the first kind of lockdown period of New South Wales last year, uh, March, April through uh, September, October. Um, and at that same time, we had to stand down uh, all of our volunteer uh, team members Uh, largely because of uh, both the uh, health regulations and the fact that many of our volunteers are uh, retired folk, older folk. Um, their volunteering work includes volunteering on the front line of, uh, of uh, helping our visitors who are uh, the, the drug-afflicted, perhaps the homeless, uh, certainly the Aboriginal community. We have a significant Aboriginal um, uh, community hub. Um, so, uh, during the uh, COVID period, uh, we had to completely reimagine what it was that the Wayside Chapel did at the same time as retaining our focus on 
uh, our, our purpose, which is a community with no us and them. And so uh, we switched to having uh, walking teams, uh, both uh, in the immediate community of King's Cross and Bondi Beach, but also using uh, what we call a van outreach uh, and taking uh, three or four uh, vans with our team workers out to some of the social housing spaces uh, around uh, more inner Sydney and uh, visiting with folk who were um, uh, unusually locked in their homes who had uh, social violence, domestic violence issues and such like. So Wayside Chapel changed itself completely in its activity but not its core purpose during uh, the last year. Uh, you ask about the giving. Uh, um, that was stressed and stretched um, significantly, uh, but particularly during last year, we had a really significant uptick in uh, small donations from individual donors, uh, from, uh, I, I'm guessing, mum and dad type um, donors uh, chipping in just a few dollars. And so in the end of the year, um, our financial year is to March, and the end of year to March this year, um, we we didn't have a significant financial deficit. We did have uh, a significant uh, people challenge and reorganisation challenge from the prior year. Well, that's great to hear that you managed to get through it financially because these must have been really tough times for you. In the couple of minutes we have left on this podcast, I still wanted to ask you, just reflecting on the past year or so of dealing with COVID, and I imagine it would have been one of the most challenging times in your life. I mean, I know you've had <coughs> previous business challenges, but to have all of this come together on your charity side, on your business side, on the family side, not being able to see family for a long time in New Zealand, this was a terrible time, a tough time, a challenging time. What are the lessons you would have learned from all of this. And when you apply that, what do you expect the future to be for Wayside Chapel, for your business, for Australia, for New Zealand? Wow. Well, um, Oliver, um, yesterday um, I had my first uh, Pfizer jab. And um, I can tell you that I was... Um, um, quite nervous um, about um, not having had any vaccination uh, through the period of the last 18 months. And so I've been incredibly careful of my own health. I'm 65, uh, so uh, I'm in good health, but I'm, I'm uh, vulnerable, particularly um, because of the work I engage with at the Wayside Chapel. And... Um, And because my business depends on me having a voice and managing uh, our business activity, um, so I, I have I, I'm open to say I've been challenged psychologically. I haven't been depressed, but I've been concerned for the last 18 months or so, particularly. And it's it's probably the most concerned I've been, uh, just in the back of my head about where on earth is this all heading. The reason I mention the Pfizer jab is to some extent, that's like a metaphorical illustration of the fact that, look, um, uh, we, we have a privilege and an opportunity uh, living in 
the respective countries of Australia and New Zealand, and we have an ability to make an influence uh, and make a difference. So uh, if I can use that Pfizer jab uh, uh, to say that, that I think can represent all of us, each of us individually to kind of be a uh, uh, a difference maker, a, a vaccine, if you like, to uh, mediocrity, a vaccine to ambivalence, uh, a vaccine to uh, the kind of social creep that can occur. And my observation that it, it is that it is occurring in New Zealand to, to change uh, core values of uh, a, a quality liberal democracy. So I, I remain um, certainly a glass half full, uh, a, 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 an ambitious and optimistic individual. And uh, so, um, you know, you're, to- you're talking to a friend and a colleague who uh, is um, uh, saying, look, compared to the alternative, uh, we're in a really privileged position and have got an opportunity to make a difference to stay uh, the course. Thank you, Graham. I think we couldn't end it on a more optimistic note. For all of you listening to us, if you want to find out more about Graham's work, you can look him up under portfolioconstructionforum.edu.au. Um, you can also find more, of course, about the Wayside Chapel. If you just Google Wayside Chapel, you will find it easily. But for now, thank you, Graham, for being our guest on the podcast and all the best for you, for your family, for your business and for the Wayside Chapel. All the best to the New Zealand Initiative. Thanks for the work you all do. Thank you, Graham. <laughs>